Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruski and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. Jorna Taylor is not with us this week. She is headed on her way to Coachella, the concert goer that she is and trendsetter. We'll, uh, we'll look forward to a debrief from the latest in fashion in the music world from Jorna when she returns. In Jorna's place, we have Anna Dvorak. Anna is our lead organizer with our organizing cooperative here in Milwaukee. Uh, Anna Dvorak, welcome. Great to be here, Matt. Thank you for having me. So uh, you have much to live up to. Jorna, Jorna is all of our, uh, what, what would we say, brings all of the comedy and, uh, shall we say, snarkiness. So uh, we'll look for something different from you, though. As always, though, Robert Craig is with us, the executive director here at Citizen Action. Robert. Greetings, everyone. So we have a number of things to talk about this week, including, uh, we'll briefly just uh, mention uh, Trump's visit this week to Kenosha. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about some of the town halls that are occurring or not occurring as they relate to uh, Senator Johnson and Representative Duffy. A lot of health care news that we have to get into, including Governor Walker's Medicaid waiver is out. Robert will have more on that. Um, and we will briefly also talk about the effort by Republicans and conservatives in the legislature to block state health plans from covering abortions. Uh, Anna is going to help us talk a little bit about fair elections and redistricting, which is an area that she is an expert in and is helping lead organizing around within our cooperative around that. Uh, and then also we're going to talk a little bit about the economy. There was a new study out this week around the man egg tax, and we're going to talk about that. And also uh, briefly just uh, talk about a ridiculous effort by the Chamber of Commerce and some, some within the Republican Party to uh, stop money going to help cities replace lead pipes. But with that, we're going to start, uh, start talking a little bit about some of the uh, happenings this week politically, including Donald Trump's visit. Uh, Donald came here to Kenosha, Wisconsin this week, and ostensibly really to try and... Um, uh, bone up or uh, I guess you could say continue to establish himself as someone who's fighting quote for for good jobs and his buy American and a, a lot of bluster around that uh, but it, all the all the while there are a lot of reports about sort of how he is actually backing away from most of what he promised the working uh, folks here in Wisconsin and America um, I don't know, Anna. I know we had a, we had some members who went down there, organized a small carpool of folks. Uh, I don't know if you heard anything from from the protests, other than uh, there were a lot of people who showed up uh, uh, to, to to meet President Trump. That's true. Yes, um, a lot of a lot of people who are in opposition of Trump's policies, and then also I heard that there were a lot of Trump supporters there. Um, <laughs> there was one, there's a picture I saw that there was one guy on a roof with an American flag, just like waving it. So um, yeah, it was, it was kind of a clash of the two sides, I've heard. Well, apparently, I think Trump's visit shows the resistance is alive and well. People continue to be uh, very animated by uh, our, our current president. Uh, and so certainly huge turnout for that. But uh, we want to move very quickly, though, to talk a little bit more about our local congressional delega delegation. We have been uh, really trying to encourage people to contact their delegation, particularly around the Trump Care, Ryan Care, health care bills, but in general also around just basic 
um, public access and the idea that they ought to be holding town halls. And in particular, um, Senator Ron Johnson has been clearly avoiding town halls. Uh, We talked about this in great detail last week, but apparently, not totally, he's very interested in debating and talking with high school students. Uh, This week he was, I believe, in Prescott, Wisconsin. No town halls to actually talk to voting age population constituents about this health care plan, Robert. I'm I'm sure you're not surprised, but uh, more of the same. Why why would they think this is good? Why would Johnson think someone who's been very publicly ducking these forums that somehow publicizing that he's (laughs) taking on high school students Well, he's been trying desperately to find some way to explain this by saying he's really hip with new technology. So he has Facebook Live and he has telephone conference calls, uh, town halls, which is actually not that new. Uh, I'll break it to Johnson. Everybody has Facebook Live. This is nothing special. But anyway, well, his staff has briefed him on it and told him it's it's really exciting. And uh, obviously, they've made some sort of calculation that better not to get the headlines, say that Glenn Grothman got when he went and had a town hall and was hammered on health care. Uh, better, better not to do that and to simply get headlines about refusing to have town halls. Uh, though he seems to have underestimated young people in choosing a high school audience. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, and I find it interesting that, you know, we actually held a town hall here in, um, actually in, in Wauwatosa last night, and we invited Glenn Grossman and Congressman Sensenbrenner and Ron Johnson and Paul Ryan, and none of them showed up. So it's it's interesting how, you know, the people of our state, uh, the citizens are actually stepping up to organize these town halls because the... Um, the, our actual elected officials are too afraid to meet with us. Yeah, those, uh, Robert, you mentioned those uh, Prescott students uh, really went after them, both on everything from climate change to health care, including uh, going after uh, DeVos and the appointment of DeVos, which, of all things, it's worth pointing out that uh, Ron Johnson suggested when he was defending DeVos that uh, somehow uh, she was. Uh, he described her as she represents a movement seeking to provide families more choices where their students can attend school, public or private. And while Prescott likely provides its students an excellent education, Johnson said, the same can't be said for Milwaukee public schools. So doing a little race baiting, a little Milwaukee hating while uh, uh, to our young to our youth seems like a really good message to deliver. Just it's actually obviously appalling. Now now Matt critics would say that uh, there was nothing about race in oh, here. It no. just said Milwaukee versus no. Prescott. No. And we'll be talking more about this uh, on the program in the future and doing more work in the community on this. But we need to understand that aside from our chief executive officer of the country, most racism is done in very coded ways, like uh, Scott Walker saying he wants to, which we'll talk about later, uh, undermine Medicaid because he wants to reduce dependency. So the question is dependency of who, and we can talk about that a little. But in this case, when you say Milwaukee in the rest of Wisconsin, uh, a lot of people, especially uh Johnson or Walker supporters, imagine African-American Latino kids. And so uh, this is all based on on, on racial stereotyping and, and divide and conquer and, and creating an urban-rural divide as well. Yeah, and, and what I love about this also is just that um, I think he walked into this town hall saying, like, anything's fair game, you know? Come on, kids. Like, 
he really clearly thought he was going to get some softball questions. MTV uh, questions. <laughs> right. Uh, the, right. What's that reality show Sean Duffy's on? Was on the Real World. <laughs> the, the real, real World. And I also, right. I really treasure the global warming response. I don't know if you noticed that. He he says he doesn't deny it, but that there <laughs> there's no cause for alarm. Okay, a die off of a quarter <laughs> of the human population is no cause for alarm. And then I'm skeptical we can do much about it, arguing that billions of dollars in funding wouldn't have kept Ice Age glaciers from receding. I'm, I'm glad that he's an expert on the Ice Age, but let me just say that the economic modeling on this, and people can read Robert Pollins, he's an economist, the greening of the global economy is, is that we would only need to spend 1.5% of global t uh, G uh, GDP in order to prevent going over two degrees, which would prevent the most catastrophic consequences, though there'd still be some. And uh, so this is, again, further, by, he says he's not a denier, but by saying this, he's a denier. And if space aliens are looking down, they're wondering if the species is smart enough to spend just 1.5% of its wealth to prevent a genocide. Right, right. So, but I think this really shows that um, it's it's hopeful to me that high school students are thinking about this. Global warming, uh, school privatization and vouchers, things like that. They're thinking really deeply about this. And these high school students are our future leaders, right? So, you know, they're, they're willing to stand up and ask hard questions to Senator Johnson. And, um, and I think that's, that's a, a good sign. Yeah, no, I, Absolutely. It's it's pretty impressive when you got high school students who know who Betsy DeVos is and understand why she was elected or why she was appointed and are actually going after him for this and, and really supporting their public schools. It also, I mentioned his comment before, it really lays bare this voucher movement, right? And and the notion that he's like, well, Prescott's a great school. I, you know, absolutely fine. Well, then why would it need why, would, why do we need vouchers statewide? But I'm sure he's an ardent supporter of that. And it just shows the hypocrisy, right? Uh, and that these kids, as you mentioned, they're pretty sharp to this. They get what's going on. And uh, it tells me there is a lot of politics occurring in households and at families. And this is really now uh, going down into the kids, right? And the kids are hearing this. And clearly... Uh, it's it's uh, it's impacting their views. Well, they questioned him on Syria, and in that, they're yes. way ahead of the pundit class that was quick to say what a decisive and wonderful move it was to drop a few bombs on Syria and declare we have a strategy. And so they asked about that, and then he claimed he had advised Obama to be more aggressive, and this was wonderful. So at least they exposed him, but they sounded it sounds like they were much more. Uh, uh, worldly about this than your pundits and a lot of democratic politicians who have come out and said this was somehow a, a bold strategic move that showed the strength of the president. Well, I think we uh, we will know why Ron Johnson is uh, ducking actual voting age constituents. Uh, we'll talk more about uh, Sean Duffy's town hall when we get back. So uh, we talked extensively about Ron Johnson's uh, effort to um, talk to high school students. Well, Sean Duffy this week, uh, 
had an actual town hall with uh, the voting age population. And similar to the Glenn Grothman town hall that you referenced, Robert, and we talked about last week, it did not go well for Duffy. In fact, I would suggest this was a disaster for Duffy. Uh, the article that uh, the Wisconsin Public Radio uh, story uh, basically said that he was getting blitzed uh, all over the place on Affordable Care Act questions. And in particular, um, one of our Citizen Action co-op members asked about single-payer, and, and in particular how single-payer could be very effective at reducing costs. And it led to what can only be described as a bizarre anti-government tirade from uh, fr- from from the Congressman. Robert, I, I know you, you've been tracking this. He, he essentially basically said government can't do anything, including public schools, a whole host of other things. Uh, it was it was uh, quite quite a quite an out uh, or qu- quite an explosion from uh, Representative Duffy. And by the way, since we did a press release on this, you can see this all in the National Wisconsin website in our press release section. But and you can hear audio of him being very very emotional. But in response to the idea that uh, a single payer would reduce costs and cover everyone. Uh, we got from, I'm not sure I can do a little oral interp here, he said, I would argue, hell no to that. When the government controls your education, they control your food, they control your housing, they control your health care, they control you. So apparently this is the gulag. And by the way, Medicare and Medicaid are single-payer plans, so apparently all of American seniors and modern-income families are in gulags and right now, and also apparently government shouldn't be involved in schools. Right, right. Well, and it's it's also interesting that, you know, another white man uh, is saying that, oh, no, we can't have government regulation when they're you know, they're not concerned at all about government governing uh, the bodies of women and the reproductive choices of women, um, you know, and black bodies, throwing them in prisons. We have mass incarceration. You know, government basically has. Um, imprisoned a large segment of our black population, particularly black men, and they are working in prisons um, for very little pay. It's basically slavery by another name. And so this, it, you know, their, their anti-government sentiment is only applicable to when it impacts white men, I feel like, or white men with privilege and in, in, in high, high, in upper classes. And it seems to be, if you really get down to it, since what their plan would do is create tax cuts of $200,000 a year for the top 10th of 1%. It's the freedom of the very wealthiest and Wall Street speculators not to pay anything back to the broader society to guarantee a right like health care. That's that freedom versus mass incarceration versus basically telling a woman what she can do with her own health and her own body, etc. And and let alone mass deportation. Also, uh, also not exactly an expansion of freedom. It's worth pointing out that uh, uh, Representative Duffy also suggested that there was absolutely no way that Democrats and Republicans could work together on uh, replacing the Affordable Care Act. So I mean, which is also, I'm sure that is not in the core messaging plan. No, he couldn't work with them because (laughs) this is in the middle of the time that Trump is demanding that he'll cut off the uh, cost reduction subsidies, which would explode the entire health insurance market on the individual market, uh, if the Democrats don't after the recess. So next week, come to him uh, with hat in hand on bended knee to negotiate over health care. He is still saying that this week. Right. Well, and I think... 
I mean, they're clearly trying to blame Democrats right now for the lack of anything happening in terms of health care reform. And they control Congress, they control the Senate, and they control the presidency. So what's the issue here? You know, it's clearly their fault, but they're just trying to deflect and, and, and they blame Democrats. created this whole thing without <laughs> Democrats. Now it's the Democrats' fault for them not being able to get a consensus on their own bait and switch. Uh, right? Right, right. Exactly. And so, but, you know, Duffy said it would be repealed in three weeks, so we should mark that. We have Paul Ryan this week uh, saying that they're, they've been negotiating over the recess and they're close. And we have the head of the Tuesday group, which for the, those of you who are not Washington insiders, is one of the allegedly moderate uh, clusters of Republicans in the House, claims there's going to be a vote next week on this great new plan. So we'll see. We could even we could have attempt number three, potentially, since we've had both the vote that didn't happen and then the attempt to reboot the vote that didn't happen. Right. So everyone should be on high alert. Um, we, you know, as Citizen Action, will let you know and try to keep you as up to date as possible on this issue. But if this moves in the um, in Congress, um, once Congress goes back to Washington, we'll let you know. Um, but in the meantime, please continue to contact your legislators. Um, go visit them at their offices. Go call them, email them, send them postcards, letters. Because otherwise, I oh. just I just say that. You know, we can't fall into the old tired idea that we just talked to this handful of 20 people in Congress that are supposed to be like swingy that could vote either way, which is a very small percentage of Congress, and then put all of our efforts there. So you may say, since the transmitter on News Talk 1510 AM, where, where this uh, uh, program is broadcast on Sundays, is in Waukesha and therefore in the, uh, in the Sensenbrenner district, that that has no effect because Sensenbrenner would never do anything but take a bad vote. But the question is, if Sensenbrenner Brenner is getting hammered at every town hall, and at least he does have town halls to his credit. Then in the in the in the caucus, is he pushing? Let's do this. Let's do this. Or is he saying, for crying out loud, I'm sick of this. Let's not. That's the question, not how the man votes. Yeah, I, I want to underscore Anna's point. It is very important that we keep the pressure on them. We need to keep calling the, our members of Congress. We'll have a link uh, here on the web page that has not only talking points on their latest uh, version of the plan, and we wouldn't expect this uh, next version to be radically different, uh, but it'll also have contact info for all of our members of Congress. But please make sure you contact them. Uh, it's very important. Also, I want to underscore the importance of attending these town halls and public forums. Sometimes I know it can feel like they're not listening. It's not going to change their opinion, as Robert suggested. But uh, you just take a look at you know, this this story, uh, Dora Gorski, right, our member up there in uh, central Wisconsin, asking this question about single payer elicited this response, right? And so, you know, shout out to Dora and other uh, Citizen Action members and, you know, other folks from around the state who are attending these hearings and holding uh, these politicians accountable and getting these responses, right? I mean, these are the kinds of things that help expose what their positions actually are. And so uh, keep it up, and uh, you are the heroes uh, of this effort, and uh, make sure you keep attending any of these town halls. And if they don't have town halls, keep calling. Or as another one of our members did yesterday, stop by Ron Johnson's office and had a nice conversation with the staff. But these are all very, very important contacts. And we want to thank you for uh, engaging in, in, in your democracy at this level. It, it's actually fundamentally important. So again, keep those calls coming into the Congress uh, members' offices. So 
we got to talk a little bit, Robert, about the Medicaid waiver that Governor Walker has been seeking, and it appears he has now received from uh, the federal government. And again, we, t- we talked about this on podcast before that uh, he is uh, attempting to drug test Medicaid uh, recipients, but there's more, right? Uh, I, I believe there are increased costs that are also being put on. Give us a little bit of detail on what's, ha- what's in this waiver. Yeah, it's like the television commercial for steak dives. There's more, right? But it's not good. (laughs) There's more, but you won't want to buy it. So the backstory is is that uh, uh, right-wing Republicans have been anxious to go after and reform Medicaid for a long time because uh, they'll give all sorts of arguments, which we'll go through, but because they actually want fewer people on it. So they want less health care. And they actually believe, or at least know that some of their voters believe, and therefore they exploit the idea that people on Badger Care have done something unethical, that they could be, have their own health care if they weren't drug addicted, or if they worked harder, or if they worked to find jobs and got the training they need, and all, all of this kind of moral judgment as opposed to looking at the structure of the, and the cost of the health care system and the structure of the economy and understanding that even middle class people can't afford health care on their own. By the way, the PowerPoint that the administration put out starts with all the cost of Medicaid and Badger Care long-term and how it's unaffordable. So that's the lens you need to understand. They're trying to save money, just like they're trying not to spend money on health care with the Affordable Care Act replacement that's been such a problem. Here's the thing. There's a bunch of stuff in Walker's waiver proposal, which was finally formally initiated on Wednesday this week, uh, which would never have been approved not only by the Obama administration, but by the Bush administration or by the previous Bush administration, the Bush 1 administration. So this is radical stuff, but there are radical people in charge of the Department of Health and Human Services now. There's Secretary Tom Price, and he is a CMS director, Center for Medicare and Medicaid Studies, uh, uh, Services, from Indiana, a Pence person who is the, an entrepreneur in, in doing this sort of stuff. And so what this, this has provisions in it like a 48-month time limit for being on BadgerCare, which again suggests that there are just other options for, for very low-income people. And Robert... Remind our listeners, most of the people on BadgerCare are working. Well, there is an exclusion if you're working. So this is the people gotcha. who can't so these work, are the cho- and it's working gotcha. 80, 80 hours uh, a month or something gotcha. like that. And there's an exclusion for Walker's horrendous job training programs, which managed to place something like 13% of people he kicked off of food shares into jobs, and it's hard to get to, et cetera. Uh, but there's there's that. Um, there is increase in premiums for very low-income people who are barely able to pay for food, for their uh, uh, make rent, etc. Uh, anyone at that income level is like at 100% of poverty and below certainly is having trouble making ends meet and is probably uh, trying to get to the end of every month paying their bills without having something horrible like an eviction happening. And their rationale for that, Matt, is, is that it will teach them It'll teach them about how private health insurance works and accustom them to having to pay premiums so they'll be able to transition to the private health insurance system and not be dependent on government. Well, we got to get out of here. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We're gonna we're gonna keep picking up on our healthcare discussion. Um, I don't know if you guys had any more that you wanted to say specifically about Walker's Medicaid proposal. Well, in addition to the racial overtones uh, that that are quite obvious that uh, Anna just uh, expanded on, uh, 
in addition to that, um, we haven't talked about the crowd jewel of the Medicaid uh, waiver, and that is forced drug testing. And so what's going to happen is, is that um, adults who don't have minor children uh, who get their health insurance through Badger Care, not others, for example, not, for example, people who get uh, private insurance, which employer-based insurance that most people get, and it is heavily subsidized through the tax code. Uh, but uh, to the tune of hundreds of billions of dollars, they don't have to be forced drug tested. Uh, so here's the stereotype that low income people uh, use drugs more, which is not true. Uh, but in addition to that, right, um, it flies in the face of what we understand uh, substance use to be, which is an addiction, which is a medical issue, not a moral issue, right? And so it suggests that they're being immoral. And, the, and they'll say that that's not true and that it's trying to identify people to help them. But they're actually t saying to the public, because the political message is really about Walker's re-election, he's going to be tough on these people who are on drugs who are taking badger care. That's what, how, how the message comes across. And, of course, those people, again, uh, in, in Walker's target audience will, will be imagined by, by many, if not most, as uh, African Americans and, uh, and, to some extent, Latinos. And so... Um, but what this really does is sets back the whole notion of uh, uh, the, what we need for to deal with the opiate crisis, drugs in general, which is a medical model where we treat it like flu, like cancer, where we try to prevent it, we try to, and then we try to catch it early, and we we do public health to scale to prevent its transmission and spread, and to, to manage it when it when people do actually have it. And that's what we need to do. This goes in the opposite direction. There are actually waiting lists right now for people trying to get treatment. And then there's very little follow-up after the treatment. You should just put money into that. Uh, there are some press reports that the testing regimen itself is going to cost $48 million. And Milwaukee Journal Sentinel said that. That's $48 million you could spend on actual drug treatment. Yeah, and I just want to highlight. Um, so in order to request a waiver, um, the government has to, a state has to have public hearings, um, and they have to collect public commentary. So you can you can send your commentary to the Health and Human Services person, um, and then you can also uh, <laughs> you can also we'll have we'll have information about that on our website, Matt. I am so glad you mentioned that, Anna. We actually have a place on our website. We'll have a link where you can go on and uh, leave your public comment because we have uh, 30 days to submit public comment on the proposal. And so we'll have a link on our webpage to our page where we all have information about it and a place where you can leave public comment uh, uh in opposition to this. Uh, so uh, thank you for bringing that up, Anna. One thing to remember, all of these barriers are really designed to be barriers that will prevent people from signing up in the first place. This is all a charade. It is all for political purposes. Uh, but the ultimate goal is to essentially force people off health care, which is exactly the wrong thing to do if we want to create a healthy workforce and a healthy group of people that are able to prosper and succeed in our, in our society. So before we move on to the next issue, do want we have one other healthcare thing I want to mention this week in the legislature, and that was the effort by conservative Republicans to try and make sure that folks who are on the state health insurance plans, so if you're a state employee, that uh, basically with very few exceptions that you would have abortion services and you know uh, available to you. Obviously, in you, you would not that you would not. Excuse me. Obviously, an extraordinarily wrong-headed bill, and I uh, want to encourage our listeners to contact your members, your member of the Assembly and Senate to oppose uh, this, this horrendous bill. Um, and we'll have uh, links to article, 
articles about that legislation if you want to get a little bit more information. And notice again, people on private health insurance from their employer who are heavily government subsidized uh, can, can ha have them have abortion services in their plans. They already exclude it for low-income people on Medicaid, which again has always been okay. It's okay to, to, to destroy the rights of low-income women, but now we're throwing in public employees, another hated class in the Walker lexicon. Right. I mean, this is going to, I mean, if this passes, people, women are literally going to die because, you know, we're going to go back to women going into back alleys, coat hanger abortions. Um, a, a woman very close to me and my family um, went on a flight, went to Mexico City and got an abortion and then came right back. She was incredibly scared when that happened. Um, and, you know, for lower income women, it's going to be even more dangerous than that. It's going to be, you know, like I said, back alley, coat hanger kind of stuff. So this is about <laughs> reproductive freedom, health freedom, right? Um, it just it pisses me off. It's a constitutional right. I love how the alleged law and order constitutionalists flaunt constitutional rights. It reminds me of how uh, the 15th Amendment guaranteeing the right to vote became a dead letter in the Jim Crow South, like the Constitution didn't matter. This is the same kind of thing. In fact, it's the same people. It's the history of, the conserv of conservatism in this country. So we need to switch topics here. And uh, this is a topic that we're moving to that Anna is an expert in, or at least an expert in organizing, and that is fair election maps and fair elections broadly. Uh, it is playing out currently as redistricting in that uh, we've talked extensively about the lawsuit uh, where Wisconsin is in a position where the legislature has to redraw maps by November 1st uh, since their maps were found to be gerrymandered. Uh, and it is really uh, kicked off what is a burgeoning movement here in Wisconsin uh, amongst both the grassroots and activists, but also uh, county boards and folks throughout the state have been moving against uh, the current way we draw our maps, uh, taking public positions that we ought to move to a nonpartisan redistricting approach, uh, like the legislation that Senator Dave Hansen has authored. Anna, tell us a little bit more about sort of what's going on and, and you know, a little bit more about the issue. And then, of course, let's talk about how folks who want to get involved can get involved in this absolutely important issue. Sure. So, Every 10 years when the census happens, which is the, the years ending in zero, so the, the previous one was 2010, every year um, or every 10 years, the legislature is charged with redrawing the maps based on the census. So that was 2011. It's usually the years after the census. And in 2011, conservatives were really prepared. Um, it was called Operation Red Map. They were really prepared in multiple states like Pennsylvania, um, North Carolina, and Wisconsin um, to basically uh, get conservatives in office elected and to have a plan to redraw and rig the maps, gerrymander the maps um, in favor of Republicans. Um, and so this what what this has caused is not only undermining, um, you know, the basic uh, principle of our American democracy, one person, one vote, but um, it actually is is part of the problem of why we see, you know, ex such extreme right wing policies um, and a lack of uh, cooperation and um, coordination and any kind of like finding a way to find agreement 
um, between the two political parties because basically these districts are gerrymandered in such a way that um, the elected officials are not incentivized to listen to both sides of the debate. They're incentivized to listen to the most extreme right wing uh, constituents and um and that's why we, you know, we see the Freedom Caucus in Congress, and that's why we um, are seeing such extreme policies at the state level, and why, you know, a lot of Democrats or liberals um, are not feeling like their voices are being heard in the state legislature or in Congress. It's worth pointing out, um, just to show how bad our maps are gerrymandered, uh, in 2014, um, Democrats running for state legislature received over 200,000 more votes than Republicans, yet Republicans held over 60 to, I think it was 39, uh, it was like 61, 39, whatever the numbers, a large 20-plus point majority in, in the Assembly. Uh, and then in 2016, which was a terrible, obviously we were very familiar, terrible year for, for Democrats, Democrats still had over 20,000 more votes than Republicans. And as we know, uh, the margin only grew for Republicans in the legislature, which clearly demonstrates uh, that we have maps that don't accurately reflect or distribute uh, the votes properly uh, for state legislative seats, and, and similar numbers would exist f for Congress, Robert? Well, no, and in, in the court case where this has been overturned at, at, at uh, the first level in a federal court case, right, um, they had evidence that was revealed very clearly that showed that what they did is, and they made this all, all off the books out of the legislature, hired a very expensive law firm, uh, didn't let anyone look at the districts except their side, and they had to have a secrecy oath, basically, uh, and, and to go look at their district, um, that they ran a number of scenarios, like lots of them, like 10, 15 scenarios, to make sure they could find the scenario that was the most election-proof. In other words, that no matter what happened, no matter what was happening in the national election and state elections, that they would still hold a majority. So that was the methodology they used. So this has nothing to do with any other principle of representation, and it undermines uh, the precept of one person, one vote, because the people who live, who who who, who are Republican and live in the right districts, have more have more their votes are worth more than everyone else's because of this uh, fixing of the system. And we've got to end, I know this goes back to the 19th century, but it doesn't make it right. In fact, it makes it wrong, uh, presumptively. Uh, the idea that politicians get to choose their own voters. It's absolutely absurd. It's the modern, what they used to call in the par British Parliament, the rotten borough system. They had a rotten borough system where literally some rural areas with very little population had many more votes in Parliament than big cities. And so this is the, the modern equivalent of that, the rotten borough system. Well, we have mentioned uh, that the public is catching on. Got to get out of here. We'll talk a little bit more about this issue when we come back. We've been talking about uh, the rigged maps here in Wisconsin. And uh, Anna, citizen action members in the organizing cooperative have become extraordinarily active in this issue and joining up with a lot of other activists who've been working on this issue. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more if this is something that they want to get involved in, um, what's happening and how they can get involved with uh, this issue here at Citizen Action. Right. So we have a number of things that you can do to take action on this issue right now. Um, first off, we have a number of town halls coming up um, in the near future. And all of this information is on our website. But um, our first town hall will be Tuesday, April 24th, 7 p.m. at the Appleton Public Library. So that's next week. Uh, another Yay, Appleton. Yay, Appleton. Um uh, the another one will then be the next day, Wednesday, the 25th, 630 at the Onalaska Public Library. 
then uh, in in Milwaukee, in the Milwaukee area, we will be hosting a town hall on Wednesday, May 3rd at 545 at the Wauwatosa Public Library. So at these at these town halls, you're going to hear from Democrats, Republicans, uh you know, people you're going to hear from people of color about how this how this really disenfranchises their their vote um, and their political power in our in our democracy. Um, you're going to you're going to learn about this issue if you attend one of these town halls. So I really, really encourage you if you if you live in the Appleton area on Alaska area or or Wauwatosa, Milwaukee area to attend one of these town halls. And then in addition to that, um Today, you can call your state legislators, your state assembly person and senator, and um, there are basically three things that we are asking them to do. First of all, um, the legislature uh, is charged with redrawing our, you know, what a federal court has has determined to be unconstitutional they've maps. They've been ordered to do so. They've been yes. ordered. <laughs> they are, they've been ordered to do so, and they are doing that behind closed doors. It's a very secretive process. That's not democracy, right? No lessons learned, huh? Right. They may not even be doing it. Some people think they're just hoping that the, the Judge Gorsuch appointment will overturn it if it goes to the U.S. Supreme Court. So we don't know if they're doing it or not. But whatever is happening is being done secretly. Right. So call your state legislators and tell them that you want to make sure that it's done, first of all, and done in an open and transparent way. Second of all, you want to you want to ask your state legislators to stop wasting our tax dollars on these expensive attorneys to defend these rigged maps. They're pretty good, aren't they? <laughs> they are very good. They have the they have the latest technology drawing these maps. They make to like a thousand dollars an hour or twelve hundred dollars <laughs> v- an hour or something. They must be incredible. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, and then third, uh, we are supporting a piece of legislation. It's Senate Bill 13, Assembly Bill 44, which basically is the solution to this problem. Um, It creates a nonpartisan independent board that has to seek public comment um, to redraw our maps. So it's going to be completely um, nonpartisan. Um, And so that's the solution we see. So you want to call your state legislators, tell them that you support Senate Bill 13, Assembly Bill 44. And you also want to encourage them to contact their colleagues who are chairing the committees. It's currently this legislation is stuck in the committees right now. And the two legislators uh, who are in control of these committees uh, in the Assembly, it's uh, Kathy Bernier. And in the Senate, it's Devin LeMayhew. You want to tell them to, you know, talk to their colleagues and make sure that this moves out of committee and goes to a hearing so that there's actually able we're actually able to have a vote on these um, assembly and Senate bills. And let me just throw in one other thought on redistricting. We're mostly talking about it appropriately, I think, as kind of a civil rights issue about people's votes being counted and being equal, right? Uh, and politicians controlling their own voters. But there's also a corruption element here uh, in this big money politics system we have that's been legalized by right-wing activist justices. Um, If the big money interests know that one side is guaranteed a monopoly on control of the state assembly, then they will invest all of their money, and their money is not for civic purposes, is to get things in that party, and that make things like the current state budget even more of a Christmas tree for those special interests. And so this facilitates corruption, and uh, and if there's actually a chance uh, that that in its surge election, like 2018, may be against Republicans and Democrats are in control, then these interests 
uh, can't uh, can't just go in and, and, and put all of their money into buying one party. Right. So and I think just one last point that I want to add is how this impacts our communities. Um, you know, if we're if we're frustrated by the lack of funding for our public education or public schools, if we're frustrated by the crumbling roads, the crumbling infrastructure in our communities, it's because of the gerrymandering issue. They aren't, you know, they aren't, especially conservative legislators aren't, you know, interested in hearing, you know, the views of a, a diverse array of views. Well, when you're not in a competitive seat, you don't need to actually listen to the competition. It is worth pointing out for people who think that this has no hope. Uh, part of the reason uh, this movement is growing is unusual suspects are getting involved. Uh, for example, in La Crosse this week, uh, the La Crosse Area Development Corporation, not a liberal gathering, uh, which really includes a lot of business leaders from the La Crosse area, actually had a forum on redistricting. And there was a lot of support coming out uh, in, in support that we need to have one person, one vote. And even people in, and I'm assuming this would represent more of the small business community in La Crosse, are, are, are showing that they find that this is a problem. It was interesting, though, <clears throat> that uh, the uh, La Crosse County Republican chair seemed tone deaf and just suggested that this is the way it's been for decades and he feels it works just fine and said, ultimately, if people are unhappy, they'll just vote, vote the people out which, of course, begs the question, not if the maps are so badly rigged. So clearly, uh, uh, Bill Feehan, I believe is his name, is completely out to lunch. He's sitting at a meeting with people that ought to be his you know, side, if, telling him he's wrong. If Putin was such a problem, they'd just vote him out, right? Exactly. <laughs> I Get rid of him. So anyways, so before we get out of here, uh, we got to talk a little bit about uh, jobs. We've talked a lot about WEDEC and its failed uh, policies to try to create jobs and uh, what we think ought to be happening if you wanted to create jobs. And certainly one of them is uh, not the Manufacturing and Agricultural Tax Credit, which we have really gone after on this show. And uh, Representative Gordon Hintz has been a leader in really uh, fighting this uh, giveaway uh, of money to, to, to the wealthy. Uh, there was a study that came out this week, a study, I'm going to use that in quotes, um, by a UW-Wisconsin-Madison professor who has uh, direct ties to uh, Governor Walker. In fact, he's an informal advisor and helped Walker on his presidential campaign, so you can uh, take that for what you want for what the study found. But this study actually claims that the manufacturing tax credit, agricultural tax credit, added 21,000 jobs in Wisconsin. Wow. And actually, yeah, and actually uh, they concluded that it actually accounted for 42,000 jobs throughout the state of Wisconsin, that this little tax credit. Well, it's not little. Well, anyway. little relative to like all of the economy that's going on, right? You can imagine everything that's happening in the economy. Is what is this, a quarter of all growth that's happened it's under Walker? Tiny, allegedly? Yeah. tiny. He's suggesting 42,000 jobs. If you remember, folks, Walker and his entire administration hasn't created a quarter of a million jobs. And this uh, study is purportedly only looking at 2013 to 2016 and claiming 42,000. This is literally... He's, this study is purporting that this, this Manag tax credit, that'd be like, as Robert said, about a quarter, if not more, a quarter of the jobs, total jobs created because of that. Absolutely not even possible. And it's amazing that this article gets written and there's no comment from the other side, no attempt 
to try to actually look or, or verify uh, the facts in this. And this clearly seems to be a study of uh, just complete garbage. Yeah, yeah. well, by, by study and, you know, since this is coming from a, a university, it makes me feel like there's proof <laughs> or there's there's some way to verify this and, and apparently not. <laughs> but uh, this appears to be a lot of uh, junk science that's uh, came out for exactly what it got. It got some news bump and just helps sort of defend Walker, even if uh, at the back end uh, this thing gets trashed by the actual. Well, academics. I don't know. It got it got it got fairly free pass in a lot of the media, and uh, complete free pass. I would. Tamarine argue. Cornelius is quoted in one of the stories from uh, Wisconsin Catching yeah. Families, and she does point out that. Uh, uh, manufacturing grew by 2.1% nationally over this period and 1.4% in Wisconsin. So that's a, a little interesting thing. And there's obviously a methodology problem in that the tax itself is not set up to have any kind of accountability. You don't yes. have to create jobs to create it. There's no state process set in motion to evaluate what each company does with the tax credit or track its progress. And so this is junk science to the extent that you can't show that this has any causation whatsoever. Even if it's true, as it claims, that there's a higher rate of manufacturing growth on one side of the border than the other, as if there aren't any other differences between them, they're the same places. Maybe La Crosse grows faster than La Crescent because guess what? There's more, just happens to be more reasons to put manufacturing in La Crosse. It doesn't mean that the man, the Manag tax credit did anything. So this is amazing. But Walker, I'm sure, will be repeating this and mouthing this number in his reelection constantly. That's what they're really trying to get here. Yeah, it sounds like Walker is uh, taking a taking a play from Kellyanne Conway's books uh, and Donald Trump. These are some some alternative facts they're using here. Uh, look, this, uh, this professor is up actually to run the Center for Research of Wisconsin's Economy at the UW. Um, I think it's probably worth our members uh, maybe uh, sending in messages in opposition if this is the kind of research that's going to come out that is just going to be tinsel for Governor Walker's plans. Uh, maybe that should be a little mini campaign, but uh, this person has not been actually selected yet. So maybe we could start a campaign to say that we don't need a junk scientist uh, in charge of our research on the Wisconsin economy. Look, there's a number of other things we wanted to talk about this week, but we got to get going. Uh, we uh, want to thank our producer, Brian Wildridge, who makes the podcast happen every week and of course we want to thank Anna Dvorak for filling in for Jorna Taylor this week thanks so much for having me and we'll see y'all next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin Wisconsin